Hello, welcome, and would you look at this mess? I'm your host, Kate, and the purpose of this podcast is to trace, explore, and celebrate the unconventionality that lives within all of us. Hey, hi, welcome back. Come on in. The episode that I have for you today is actually a co-hosted episode with someone that you may be familiar with if you've listened to the podcast a bunch before. Um, So I interviewed my friend Taryn, what feels like not that long ago, but it's actually quite a while ago now, on the podcast uh, back in the fall of last year. And uh, we got talking about maybe doing something else, so we decided to do a co-hosted episode, which is just a little different format than the interview style, Um, so I'm not just doing a barrage of questions towards her, we're just having more of a a conversation, and it's free-flowing, and anyway, we're both really happy with how the episode turned out, it was a lot of fun, and one thing that um, Taryn did mention to me after we finished recording that she felt like she wanted to clarify and this will make a little bit more sense when you get to the part of the episode where we're talking about parenting and strategies and things um she wanted to make clear that you know she is in a multi-partner co-parenting uh dynamic and that when she's referring to her own strategies she's also cognizant that her the different the different parents within their dynamic have different strategies and different ways of dealing with things and she wanted to um validate that that they're also an important element in this too so anyway that's uh the only addendum that i have for you (laughs) for this episode otherwise uh just keep listening and enjoy the episode that we recorded for you so yeah how are you doing um pretty good i I don't even know really where to start. Um, Everything seems like it's on a really good like balance of things like work and parenting and writing and everything seems to be going really well. So I really just enjoying it. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So, yeah, speaking of, of which you started a blog recently. I did. Yeah. Like a month or two ago. Yeah. And so how is that going? Um, It's going really well. I wish that I could dedicate more time to it. Um, But I'm also trying to just be like gentle with myself about not expecting a certain amount of output, like no deadlines, just when I have something that like rolls into my head and like it's bothering me or like I'm thinking about something for a few days, I try to find time to at least get a rough draft out. And then it usually takes me another three to four days to like edit it and post an image. And then I share it on medium.com, which has been a really good website. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not familiar with this one. Um, my blog is just through WordPress. So um, it, this is just like a blogging website that, that you've set up on? Yeah, I think I'm not sure that from what I've seen, most pieces on there are like, more like opinion articles like from other writers and stuff but like I don't know if that really classifies as a full-on blog because it's it seems like everybody kind of writes piecemeal instead of focusing like a blog usually has a like a focus like this is my recipe blog or this is my crafting blog or my parenting blog whereas medium seems to be like a little bit of everything just depending on what the author feels like 
posting. Um, A lot of them are just short reads, like around the 10 minute mark or under even. Um, So it is really just little snippets here and there, which is perfect for me. There is also a, um, I forget what they call it. Let me see for a second. There's a medium partner program, I think it's called, where they will pay you. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think I looked into it one time. It was a while ago. But you need to like you need to publish stories, gain a hundred followers, and you need to stay active. Mm. And then that was all fine with me, other than like I don't have a hundred followers on there yet. Mm-hmm. But then I was also looking at the way they pay you is through like a third party. So you end up having to pay the third party like a finance thing. Yeah. And like for what I'm doing, like I don't, I don't think it'd be worth going into that paid program. Not at this point anyway, but it's a nice place to just get whatever thoughts out and share it. So yeah, that's been good. That's awesome. I I like this, the idea that you were saying about um, just kind of writing what, what comes to you rather than having to have your niche or be sort of, you know, into a particular subject line. Um, Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I am. Like, I know I don't ever really, I mean, I try to plan my podcast episodes kind of in advance but I don't ever like really say it to, to my audience, quote unquote, I don't really have a huge audience, but anyway, I don't tell people like, Oh, you can expect to get this this week. I just like show up with whatever it is that it's, it's going to be. I know. And I actually really enjoy that about your podcast. Yours is the only podcast I listen to that is like that. Yours is also the only podcast I listen to that is like solo most episodes. Yeah. I am everything else I usually listen to. That's just like, just like fluff. <laughs> like I'll just put it in my ear and just like tune out most of the time or like I do a lot. I listen to a lot of paranormal podcasts and like weird stuff like that, which I love listening to. But again, it's all just like fluff entertainment, but yours I like to listen to because it's thought provoking and it's the only one that I listen to that's like that. So I'm definitely a fan. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so that's the thing. Like I, I say, like I don't have much of an audience, but there are a few people like yourself and a couple of others who do tune in pretty much every week and say the same thing. They say like, "Oh, it's nice because there's like some thought provoking here, and it's not always the same about the same things and stuff." Um, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've enjoyed doing it. And so the, the point being that it's that for me is sort of the creative outlet at this point, which is a similar idea to what the blogging kind of thing is, where. You got you have these thoughts swirling around, and so writing it down or saying it out loud kind of helps you to process it and put it somewhere. And then a lot of it is kind of relatable, so now you you can share it with people, and then people can see that they're not alone if they're struggling with something, or you know if they're going through a similar thought process, you know that it's available. So, so that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I've been I've been like going through. You shared with me that podcast roadmaps website that you like that service that you started with. And I've been looking through that and I'm, I'm really finding it like really helpful with how to think about a podcast Mm -hmm. and it's changed how I listen to some of my podcasts. Like I start, I'm starting to pay more attention to what segments different people use or like what their tone is and things like that. Um, So that's been really helpful. And I just wanted to say thank you for sharing that with me because it's been really good. 
Yeah, I, was, I loved that that uh, resource. I thought she did such a fantastic job in building it. And yeah, and so I'm the same. Like when it, I started reading it, I was like, oh yeah, I can sort of think a little bit more critically about what I'm taking in. And it is a more or less like take what works for you and leave what doesn't approach, which I also really liked because it's not like this is the Bible and you need to do it this way. Um, and yeah, and she gives a lot of really helpful direction. There was a bunch of stuff in there where I was like, I would never have thought to have an email list or like, <laughs> you know, yeah, for sure. Things. Yeah. 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 Or, and even, even trying to figure out where to host the podcast. I mean, that would have taken me probably months to, of like Googling to figure that out. So it was all laid out there and it was, I can, uh, in the episode, I'll put a link to her, her stuff for other people if, if they're listening and they're like, Hey, maybe I want to start a podcast. <laughs> yeah, true. It's, it's been really good really helpful. So I'm looking forward to getting my own podcast up and running at some point. I have like, ugh, I have three different ideas and I don't know if I want to try. Well, one of them is my thought is just like, it'll be really short episodes, like maybe five or 10 minutes. So I think, and it won't involve a lot of planning on my part. So I think I'll probably do that one. And maybe one of my other two ideas, which are bigger. And I just don't know. I don't think I can start three. That seems like a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I would, I would certainly maybe just like start with one and see how it goes. But the the nice thing with podcasting is that once you've kind of done it once, it's fairly simple to do it over again. It's usually the first one is going to be the most difficult to figure out. And get. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you, if you have other ideas, um, you could do that. Or you could even do it like some people do podcasting as seasons. So you could do a season of something, the shorter ones, and then you could do a second season with something of a different idea. And then that way it's almost kind of like a bit of market research too. You see what feedback you get and then it will help figure out what works best and what you like best. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, Yeah, There's one that I listen to that's called, um, oh, I can't remember. I think it's Our Fake History. And it's a teacher in Toronto that does it. And he, he does seasons. I mean, he takes the summer off. I think he's a professor in Toronto somewhere, like a history professor. I forget his name. Um, but yeah, like that's what he does. He does like a season. It's a longer season. This matches the school year. But yeah, I like that idea too. And I yeah. like the idea of trying different different types each season, just like you said, to get some feedback. That's really clever. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my advice. If you if you're not sure which direction to go, just try your try some stuff. And then yeah, with the seasons, then it kind of gives it a natural break rather than trying to you know introduce it. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. that would be a good idea. So are you now in the process of getting the podcast together? Like you're just kind of doing the reading and kind of figuring out what what's involved. I mean, obviously you have the equipment now, so like that's good. <laughs> Yeah, that was okay. That was one of the things that I found really encouraging was how how easily I found the equipment that would work for me. Like, I don't know how many people you, that listen to your podcast are spiritual or like how spiritual you are, but that's one of like one of the things that I've really developed in my personal growth in the last little while. And so, just the idea of paying attention to what flows easily into your life as a sign that you're meant to be doing this. Mm -hmm. And I typically don't buy a lot of things brand new anymore. Um, Like I do a lot of Facebook marketplace or Kijiji or whatever. And 
after you had asked me to do this episode, I was like, oh, maybe like, cause I've been thinking about doing a podcast of my own. Like maybe I'll see if I can find some equipment and it all like came together so fast, mm-hmm. all local, two of the pieces, my webcam and this pop filter were literally five minutes from my house and the mic and the, the, what is it? The boom arm thing. All that was like, it was across the city, but still within my city and it was already on the same day and it was all like a good price and it's a good quality equipment. I was like, holy, that's craziness. So it makes me feel really positive about starting a podcast. Um, I don't even remember what your question was. No, yeah. Oh yeah. So I'm just, I'm just kind of, yeah, getting the equipment and then going through that resource that you sent me and um, making notes and like doing the workbook part of that resource. And then I'll have to think about, yeah, like, uh, formatting and scheduling mostly like finding the time when am I going to consistently be able to record and how many times like I know there are podcasts out there that only post every two weeks or they'll take like a two-week break here or there or whatever so I'll have to put some thought into that but I don't know I feel like I'm on on a pretty good path (laughs) yeah yeah you're on track that's good Mm -hmm. yeah I think one of the things that actually oh hang on sorry (laughs) hey buddy yeah, that's that book, and he needs that to stay in good shape. So we're going to put that up high. And computer, too. Yeah, so I'm going to just play with the headphones. And yes, you can play with that. <laughs> um, yeah, so one of the things that I didn't think was going to be as helpful as it was, was actually writing down every idea I had of a topic that I wanted to talk about, because I have a couple of times kind of felt like, oh, I'm feeling low in motivation or like low in ideas and I'll return to that still and like figure something else out that I wanted to talk about and I'll go oh yeah like a really interest yeah that I think I just got to that part in one of the module lesson things where um she was talking about like really dive into like because she sets up like your story and your overarching like why you're doing this podcast and then spend some time like brainstorming stories within your story almost and then you can pull episode ideas from that I think I just like went through that as in I'll do that part later but it does seem like a really good idea to sit down and do at some point and something like you said to refer to when you are low on creativity or ideas or whatever yeah yeah for sure and I I do like I've Definitely don't think that everything has to be done linear in this process, right? So like you said, you kind of blow through it for now. You'll revisit it later and and kind of do that as well. But it doesn't have to be like in the perfect order um, in order for it to still work, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So that's exciting, though. So hopefully we'll see your own podcast coming out sometime soon. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't, like I said, I haven't even thought of like, a deadline for myself or anything like that. So I don't really want to say even like soon, I don't know, whatever that means yes, really. <laughs> anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, oh, and I was listening to your episode where you were, uh, I can't remember if it was your most recent, one of them recently you were talking about how with Emmeline, you were noticing like this sudden shift in like asserting her, independence and like having this phase where she was just getting really really um I don't know what word to say obstinate maybe yeah. yep. <laughs> Re went through the same thing um 
She would have been, it would have been just the summer after she turned five. She's a March baby. And it was when Sterling was born. And it was that summer because we started, well, it was COVID. So schools had closed down and she was stuck inside so much of the time. And then we started giving her more freedoms outside. But like, yeah, she was the same. Like things that were no big deal before were suddenly like meltdowns and insisting on, doing things that she'd never ever wanted to even do before and it was yeah it was a journey <laughs> yeah it is it is a journey and yeah. he's kind of going through a thing right now too lately like the last week or so it's just it's again it's one of those things of like, like wanting to be independent and wanting to do things completely on his own and and as his mom I'm used to just doing things and then suddenly he's like no I didn't want you to do it and so you have to actually reverse action <laughs> before that you can resolve it because he won't just accept it like halfway. It's like they need to start over from the beginning, put it all back. And uh, yeah, yeah. So it is. <laughs> but it's all developmental in my mind. Like it's basically, yeah, it, they, they go through this, these phases, you know, uh, naturally it's not well. And so that was an inter- interesting thing too, because the one, the one uh, person I was saying, cause I talked to some other moms about this and they were finding similar things. And uh, one of the moms, she had had a baby recently too. So um, her, her oldest son was starting to experience this similar stuff. And she kind of thought maybe it was because of the baby. And I was like, honestly, it could be like, a lot of times kids will struggle with having a new sibling and trying to navigate that when they're older. And so it could just, it could be like a combination of both like a natural development and also something happening in their environment where they're, you know, things have to be adjusted and kids just process everything with their whole selves. <laughs> right. So mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. So it does. It ends up just coming out in a lot of different ways. And I always just try to remind myself that like, they're not doing this stuff on purpose. They're not trying to make your life harder. They're going through something. And our job is just to be supportive and empathetic and have those boundaries in place so that they feel safe. And yeah, for sure. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I wasn't, I, it didn't really cross my mind at the time about when Brie was going through that, whether or not it was related to Sterling being born, but yeah. Cause I didn't see any of like the behavior that I'd heard about where like jealous of mom's attention or whatever. And she's, she was older. Right. So it was easier to explain to a five-year-old, like the baby needs me in this way and you don't need me in this way. And so I need you as big sister to go. Basically I just pushed independence on her. So maybe that's what happened. Cause like, I, I don't, I don't parent Brie to be, taking care of Sterling. Her role in his life is not a caregiving role. I mean, she, she naturally is to a degree, but it's, I don't want her to grow up thinking he's your responsibility. I want her to have her own life and have like the life that she's been having still. I don't want her whole world to change just because baby came into the picture. Always say to her that I say to her that the number one job of her big sisterhood is to take care of herself in new ways and to if a parent needs her to grab something or like whatever help the parent her job is not to parent sterling Mm -hmm. and I think I think that maybe that was part of it right like we started pushing more independence on her so she just like ran with it (laughs) we were like whoa okay maybe don't ride your bike across the street outside of our, our little complex like maybe we should set some boundaries about where you're allowed to go and yes things like that but 
it's it's all it's all in a groove again now with her and I'm sure it'll be a little bit different when she goes back to school in a couple weeks but yeah yeah is she in any kind of like childcare or anything at the moment or she's just home with you um we started out the summer she was home and it was just too much (laughs) busy toddler who climbs everything and Brie wanting to play and color and all that stuff and just needing to be fed all the time (laughs) he's in that phase of just like I'm hungry I'm hungry I'm hungry I'm hungry (laughs) and uh, it was just getting to be a bit much for me emotionally so we decided to start sending her to camp so she did a theater camp which she adored and we've signed her up for classes for that and then she also did three weeks oh and we were away for a week and a bit and then after that she has been doing three weeks of gymnastics camps and I mean I work at the gym there so it's easy to get her in and we get a discount and stuff like that so and she loves it there. She's pretty much grown up in the gym. She knows all the coaches, like they all love her. And it's, it's a really comfortable, comfortable place for her. And she just loved it. But now those three weeks are over. So I have her home with Sterling and I all next week and she goes to school. (laughs) Yeah. So a little, a little bit of time with everybody home, but. Mm -hmm. Which will be nice. It'll be nice and it won't be too much. I think it was only like after school ended in June and then it wasn't until the end of July or like third week of July that she went to camp and just like that month of mm-hmm. every like her and Sterling needing me and wanting things from me all the time was too much <laughs> too much for me <laughs> yeah I totally understand <laughs> yeah yeah I found that too I was like I was going well especially with with COVID and stuff happening over the last year and a half and yeah being home with the kids and and Nick was working from home so I had to have them like downstairs and entertaining and um, feeding and all that stuff too I would find I'd go through these cycles of like just total despair <laughs> of being like oh I can't do this anymore and then you kind of have a breakdown and you cry and you get your comfort and then eventually if you go back into it, you're like, okay, fine. It was like, it's like taking a breather. Right. But yeah. Giving yourself the permission to like have those feelings and, and be okay with the fact that like, you're not going to be in love with motherhood every moment of it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And just learning like what your balance is, right. Like everybody's got a different, Mm -hmm. different tipping point. (laughs) Totally. Yep. (laughs) And you're like, Oh, Hey, I found mine. (laughs) Yeah. Totally found mine. I can't devote my entire being to being a parent. I need other things. And that's like, that's what writing has been doing for me. That's been why podcasting and yeah. And sending Brie to camp. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And having that little reprieve. Yeah. Yeah. Well then in addition to, um, well, this is maybe like a challenge that maybe other parents that might relate in having such a big age difference between your two, your kids in general, I find that because Brie is more independent and she is permitted to play outside with the like kids in our little neighborhood area. And she has all those like ideas about what she wants her day to look like. And then if I say, Hey, I, we need to go and run this errand. We need to go do groceries. We need to go do whatever. Like Sterling is like super excited about the car and he's like easy to just corral into the car. And she's like, I don't want to go. I want to stay home with my friends. I don't want to do this. So 
it meant like I was more trapped, not in quote unquote trapped. I was tied to the house, even though I finally had a car again, because I'd been sharing my car for a long time and we got a second vehicle, third vehicle. Um, So even though I had my own vehicle, I still wasn't able to utilize it. So I wasn't doing the grocery shopping like I planned to and like Mm -hmm. all that stuff. Or like go visit friends or whatever, go to a park. She just always wanted to stay home and either be watching her shows or playing with her friends outside or bugging me for food. <laughs> but with Bria at camp, I, I had that freedom again and it was just, it's been really nice. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I mean, I, so I was thinking about just now, like, um, so we ended up having Emmeline this past, this weekend, she was staying at her cousin friend's house overnight on Friday night and we planned for that. And then on Saturday, the the woman who was helping look after her, uh, I said, oh, do you want us to pick, pick her up around 3.30? And she said, well, they're having a great time. If you want her to stay for another night, then, you know, you could do that. Uh, we're happy to have her. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. And so then we kind of had like a, a light bulb moment where we're like, oh, we should send Bobby to grandma's for the night. And then like daddy and I can have an evening to ourselves, which is one of the... F- very few times that that ever happens. I'm starting mm-hmm. my second job now and it will be on Saturdays, so I won't have that anymore. Um, but it was really hard because we actually ended up arranging it and then told Bobby that he was going to do that. And at first he was okay, but he changed his mind really quickly. And then he was very, very, very distraught that we were taking him to grandma's. And, yeah. And so it was, it's one of the few times, cause I honestly generally tried to try to like, or I refuse to feel guilty as a mom for doing things that are benefiting me or benefiting my relationship with my husband. Like those things are so important. And so normally I don't really feel a lot of guilt about like my kids staying somewhere or whatever, but this was one of those times where I was like, I feel so bad making him go but I knew that we needed it and then if we didn't do it if we gave into the tantrum and we gave into the like the not wanting to go in the moment that it was going to be worse for everybody (laughs) right because right what I what I was going to get at is that you know like doing things uh that are best for you as a parent is what's best for everybody right absolutely you can't you can't sacrifice everything for your kids or for your family because that's when you start to get resentful and, and yeah, you don't, you don't do things for yourself. So anyway, so it was just reminding me that like this happened yesterday. And of course, you know, we got to grandma's and he at first again was like, still, I don't want to be here, but then we found something going to Bubba's shop that like he wanted to do. And so he was fine and he did okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I figured that that was going to happen, but I just felt really bad because, well, like you were saying, you know, with your the, the blog you just wrote about people having autonomy, bodily autonomy, or just like the autonomy to choose for themselves. And mm-hmm. I felt like I was really forcing him to do something he didn't want to do. <laughs> and so it was like, uh, you know, <laughs> this is one of those. Like, yeah, it's, it's, there's a gray area. <laughs> and there's there's a you can you say that you were feeling guilty and not to say that you weren't, but there's a difference between feeling guilty for something like that and feeling empathy for their situation, right? Like I, you can still empathize and feel that like, Oh, it really sucks that you're struggling with this right now without feeling guilty about doing it. That's like how I feel right now um, with Sterling. Cause I've stopped nursing him to sleep at bedtime and it's been, I think it's been close to three weeks now. And like, 
I have found a lot of peace and patience in the tantrums that he was throwing, especially the first night. Like it took two hours for him to fall asleep and he was miserable the whole time and crying on my shoulder and like didn't want to be held, but also didn't want to be in his crib, but was just like completely out of sorts, like understandably because I'm pushing this change on him. And so like having that perspective was like, it just allowed me to have a lot more patience to whether the the tantrum that he was throwing right and just be there for him as long as it took and it made it a lot easier to stick to the change too right I think that in the past especially like when Brie was his age or going through something like that I would feel like I wouldn't be able to withstand those tantrums and I'd be more likely to give up on the change mm-hmm. because I was feeling her feelings or feeling guilty whereas in this, this time around. Um, yeah. Like I just, I am able to be more patient and understanding that it's difficult for him and it's inconvenient for me. Cause I don't want to take two hours for him to go to bed. Mm-hmm. That sucks. But it's also, it's because of my decision for him that he's having this, this struggle. So it's almost, it's not that I deserve quote unquote him to be throwing tantrums, but it just gives me more patience with him. And I think there's only been a couple nights where I'm just overworked and like exhausted. And I just, I start to feel like I can't deal with it, <laughs> but I mean, it still helps. Yeah, for sure. And and that I, I totally agree. There, there's this part of, <laughs> part of sorry, mommy is really going forward over here. Um, I'm loving that spinny chair. <laughs> I know. Really, we're going to have a lot of good background noise in this one. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so you're right, though, in terms of like feeling empathetic towards their perspective of what they're experiencing, because to an extent, like you can't just let kids run the situation, right? Like you can't just it's not not a possibility. It's not good for anyone. So, yeah, so feeling that empathy. And and so we did, like, very briefly, we sat on the couch, Nick and I, with Bobby while he's crying and saying he doesn't want to go. And we kind of threw it back and forth of, like, should we not go or should we not do this in order to, you know, make him feel better or to to let him know that we we really do hear his concerns. Um, But then, yeah, ultimately, we were like, we're just going to do it. And and again, we're going to just empathize with them. Like, yeah, you really don't want to go. And this is the decision that we've made. And it's hard. And we're here for you to, like, express yourself and process it and deal with whatever, however you need to. Uh, but this is the decision that we've made and we're just going to go with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, but it was, it, that was the one time where like, I just felt I, like, yeah, I, I did feel, feel, feel this sense of guilt. Cause I don't, like I said, I don't often get that feeling of like, Oh, I, I feel bad for, for doing this to my kid or whatever. Right. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I definitely did feel that. And then Again, once we kind of got through it and, he, and his, I saw that he was okay, then I thought, okay, that's that's good. This worked out great because if we had turned around and said we weren't going to do it, then it probably, again, it would have been bad for all of us. Like I, I would have yeah. been sad and I would have been resentful and, you know, like yeah. I would have been a very kind person after that because <laughs> I knew I needed something for myself. So absolutely. Yeah. I often wonder too, like in situations like that, you can kind of, you can kind of think of how children just live so in the moment still that once you transition from 
the tantrum of they don't want to do whatever decision or whatever's coming to, like you said, like getting to grandma's and then finding something that he enjoys. He's now completely in that moment. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, okay, that works. Let's just go. (laughs) We'll be fine. (laughs) Everything will be fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was just a weird one because he's never, it was also, it was in surprising because he's never expressed a desire not to go to grandma's or to like not do something. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So that was part of it too. It was like, normally he jumps at every opportunity to see his grandparents. And so it was just a weird thing where I was like, what's going on? Like, why do yeah. you want to do that? And I don't, oh. I don't understand. Yeah. So anyway, so he was struggling with it, but yeah, again, we, we just sort of offer as much you know, patience and empathy as we possibly can um, because they're, yeah, feelings are feelings and we have to like get them out and, you know, Definitely. not hold on to them. <laughs> I will say like, I'm struggling a little bit right now with Sterling. Um, he's just about 18 months and the tantrums are getting real. And I, I didn't handle them with Brie very well, or at least, I handled them differently and I don't want to repeat the way that I handled them with her. With her, it was a lot of like tears on both ends and a lot of like, you like, um, like telling her that she needs to stop crying and like that kind of parenting. And I'm not that parent anymore, but I'm still finding when he gets like a real difficult situation and he's really melting down and like especially if I have to go like if we have to go pick up Brie from camp and because of COVID restrictions like she can't just hang around like parents have to be on time um, even though it's like my place of work and it would probably be fine but there's still that sense of urgency and like this tantrum needs to be over we need to go get in the car and like that kind of situation where there's a time element I find that I still am having trouble like just being the gentle parent and like compassionate to his situation because probably the tantrum is completely unrelated I think it only happened once in the three weeks that Brie was at camp but he was just so wrapped up in his feelings that um, he couldn't hear that we're going to do something that he likes like get in the car and go pick up Brie like he loves doing that but he was just in the middle of this like meltdown over I probably just put something like a glass pot lid that he wanted to play with, like out of reach, (laughs) something like that. And he just, yeah. Yeah. I've seen like some parenting videos where they, they talk about like the upstairs brain and the downstairs brain in a child and how it's probably true for adults too. Like if you're, if your nervous system is like hyperactive and you're in that emotional turmoil, you, you can't think logically. You can't, listen to logic you can't listen to a lecture you can't listen to an explanation you're just wrapped up in your feelings in your quote-unquote downstairs brain so it really is better to address the feelings and help them process and help them like wait out the feelings before you then talk to them or like try to reason with them yeah but I just don't I didn't have time for that day well and so (laughs) So yeah, I, I totally relate to this because this is an area where that I struggle with too, with even still with my kids because uh, I, I know for myself that I get anxious if um, we're trying to get to a thing or something that we're trying to keep a schedule and meltdowns start. Um, I can t- I can feel like in my brain a little shift where I'm like, oh no, <laughs> I'm not going to deal with this very well because now suddenly I'm feeling 
pressured and anxious. And then I'm doing everything I can to sort of walk myself back mentally and not let that feeling come out of in in my the way I express myself to my kids. Um, But one thing I would say is like, when, because when that used to happen with my kids, especially when they were younger, um, I always, or I, w- I would, in those situations, I would say, you know what, I totally understand you're feeling this way, and like I completely, I understand, and I see you, and you're welcome to continue to f- express your feelings, but I'm going to pick you up now and put you into the car, and we're gonna go, and you're, and again, like you're still, you're still validating their feelings, you're still, you know, giving the space to process, but you're saying I'm gonna help you to like move through this, what actually needs to be done now. And so then I'd give them like a warning or not like, not like a warning as in like, don't be bad, but like, yeah, but I'm going to come and pick you up now. Um, and like, so then they know that I'm coming to approach them and I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And like, I kind of just like walk them through what it's going to happen. And again, like you're, you're, you know, as you said, they may not process everything that's happening, um, in a logical sense, but at least then they, they, they still get the sense that like you see them for their experience and you want to respect their body. You're not just reaching down because like, I know that Nick does this sometimes too. Like he'll just reach out and be like, Oh, come here. And he just like picks them up and just takes them. And I feel like that's disrespectful to children because they are whole people who deserve the respect yeah. to know that their body is safe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's basically like how I used to address that where I knew we had to go I didn't have the time to fully give them the, like the, let them process the feelings in that space, but they could continue crying in the car if they needed to. Right. Yeah. Like, that's good. I will probably use that. <laughs> I'll have to start practicing now. One thing that I found is like, now that I have all these different parenting ideas from when I was at the same stage with Brie five years apart, um, I find that I'm practicing how I want to handle like that situation when for when he's older and understands more sentences. Mm-hmm. Whereas right now, there's not very much I can say to him other than like, do you want a hug? Like, yeah. do you want a kiss? Like, yeah. there's not a whole lot I can do. Um, or yeah. I'll ask him if he wants up. Um, but if I start practicing like the approach that you were just dem- or just outlining now when he can't really respond to it then I'll be in the habit when it's like useful and he'll start picking it up the more I practice it now yeah and to keep that in mind and even still yeah practicing it now and and making him familiar with because you can you can learn to um pick up on nonverbal cues too because they can understand Mm -hmm. more than we think they can a lot of the time oh yeah for sure yeah so even just yeah starting it now like you said you get into the habit of doing it so then it becomes more second nature because a lot of it is just like unlearning how we were brought up. <laughs> you know, that's what I find. So much. <laughs> yeah. There's so much of like, oh, damn, this is, this is my mom coming out of me now as a mom or whatever. And so it's just like rewiring your neurons to to go towards a different reaction to what you've been brought up or how you've been socialized, which, mm-hmm. I mean, most of us have been. We were all brought up basically in an environment where it was very punitive and very punishment driven, um, rather than being, uh, more supportive. And, um, again, going to things like respecting body autonomy or respecting people as who they are. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, like most of us, that's how, that's what we experienced, right? That was the whole generation of, of kids now. (laughs) 
Yeah, for sure. It'll be interesting to see like the generation of kids that receive like this more um, like gentle approach and validating experience as like they're growing up. It'll be interesting to see what kind of adults they become and what what they do, what good they'll do in the world. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. Like we all have these, we have this approach hoping that they won't be they won't need to do as much reparenting and like unlearning and they hopefully won't have as many societal restrictions. So it'll be really interesting in 30 years to see where they're at. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, and, and so it is interesting too, in that sense, because I still see lots of parents who aren't really conscious of these patterns of behavior. And so yeah. there's almost going to be like different camps of people who, and, you know, because everybody's different and everybody experiences things differently, I'm sure there will be kids who are brought up in a more gentle environment who still kind of don't take to it that well or didn't love that. Um, and then there will be kids who are brought up differently. And so it'll just, but it, but there is still quite a bit of variability, basically, in how people are bringing their kids True. up. Because, um, yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I see this when I'm out in public and I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's one way to talk to a child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Ugh. yeah, I know sometimes I, sometimes I think to myself, like, um, you know, I'm doing all of this work with my, with myself trying to like reparent and try to bring a different, um, energy to my parenting than was brought for me. Um, and then I'm like, I just hope that my kids don't end up having to be like bearing the emotional weight for people who don't get that when they're older. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or even I find that that starts now, even like with Brie, um, like I said, like since she's now outside a lot more and has more freedoms about who she hangs out with outside and who she talks to and the little like, um, the little like disagreements that children have at her age, like you still see, and not that you shouldn't, like it just, you start to see how different kids are raised differently just in how they interact in their, especially during arguments. Like one of the things that we've tried to, and I think we've done a, a good job, maybe too much. We have, she's maybe gone too far um, is the idea that you don't have to a be friends, like friends with everybody you, you there will be people that you don't get along with and that's okay um you just need to still be kind to them later yep go downstairs with that oh. <laughs> alpha getty i don't even know yeah i haven't seen that in so long that looks so tasty yeah. um of childhood <laughs> yeah yeah sorry sorry that's okay. Uh, but just like things that we were instilled with or things that are maybe being instilled in kids today that maybe we don't agree with as parents, like the idea of you have to be friends with everybody and you have to include everybody in everything all the time. Yeah. And we haven't, we haven't been doing that with Brie. Like we take the vein of there will be people that you don't want to hang out with and that's okay but you still need to be kind to them, yes. right? There's a difference. Not everybody deserves to have access to you as a friend or like has, or make demands on your time or whatever. Like we're trying to give her those boundaries of self-care mm -hmm. and self-love um, early on. Yeah. 
And it's just, it's tough because there aren't very many children, at least that she interacts with right now that are receiving that same message. There's, they're all receiving the message of you have to include everybody in whatever activity you're doing. And you just, you have to, and it's just hard. Yes. And you're, and I think you're right. There's, I, I also struggle with this one too, the balance between um, being inclusive but not to the detriment of your children. Because Emmelyn, I feel like probably Brie and Emmelyn are similar. Um, she's extremely empathetic and she's extremely focused on being nice and being liked. <laughs> and so she, I can already tell, is willing to let people walk on her a little bit because she wants them to like her. She wants to be friends with everybody. She kind of already feels that she, you know, she does need to be friends with everybody. And I've tried to tell her this too. I'm like, you don't have to be friends with everyone. It's not a requirement. But the same thing, like, you do have to be kind to people. You do have to be respectful of other people. Um, and there has been actually one instance, and I've had a TikTok about this, um, or maybe I didn't actually post that TikTok. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I was going to record one and post it about, um, like, there was, a, there was like, a, a, um, a thing at her school uh, grounds where there was a few, and so this is also a racial thing, too, because there's all these white girls yeah. playing together, and then there was one, like, darker skinned girl coming over and they were like no you can't play with us and like they just kind of really shunned her and I just said like I'm not okay with that (laughs) like Mm -hmm. I don't think that that kind of stuff is acceptable I think that if you're all playing in a group together and someone wants to join your group I feel like there shouldn't be any reason why someone can't come like yeah but then yeah then you don't necessarily want to give the message that like every time someone wants to do something with you you have to say yes because yeah you're going to end up with those dynamics with kids where there are certain kids who will take advantage or who will not treat people as nicely or, or you know, be as, as, ni- as good to them. And you don't want them to, to get the message that they have to accept that anyway. Mm-hmm. And for us with Brie, one of the, one of the like long-term fears, I guess, that we were concerned about was that, yeah, initially when she was starting to go outside more on her own and play with the neighborhood kids, um, she was very much like how you described Emmeline, like just wanting everybody to like her and being willing to do whatever they asked of her. And like, obviously the older children are like aware of that and like might take advantage of that, right? Like whether that's to get food or to get her to do something that might be dangerous or whatever. So we just, that was kind of the starting point of like, maybe we should start instilling this message in her now. Because mm-hmm. I can only imagine if she continued that way, having that belief of like being hungry for everybody's like approval and needing to always be on good terms with everybody and do whatever they say, like you can imagine as a teenager where that leads or could lead. Uh, However, (laughs) it's almost like she's gone too far the other way. (laughs) And she's, we now have to like explain to her why her friend is crying when she said to her, I don't want to play with you today. I only want to play with so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And then this other kid is crying. Yep. <laughs> and we're like, well, even though what you are doing is okay, you still need to be kind. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to like coach her through like appropriate phrases. And even then like remind her that you can be as kind as as you can to somebody and if they still have an emotional reaction that's okay it's not your job to babysit their emotions but 
there they might still cry even if you are being kind but you should still make the effort to be kind yeah <laughs> like it's such a complex thing it's just going to be an ongoing like correction over correction and like hopefully the pendulum back and forth will just like find the middle <laughs> yeah for sure no and i think that's I, I again i agree completely with that and it's interesting because emmeline for all the empathy that she has and all the caring that she has she does have this streak in her which has come out and she has one friend in particular who is like super uh literal and analytical and so she uh will be hanging out with he's, this is a little boy that she has in her class and they'll be hanging out together and then if she gets really upset about something she'll say stuff that she doesn't mean and hurtful stuff so she'll say i don't want to be your friend anymore and mm-hmm. he thinks that she's being serious. And I've said mm-hmm. to her, you know, like, even if you're not serious, those are not the kinds of things that you say to people that you actually do want to be friends with. Or those aren't, that's not the appropriate way to express how you feel in that moment, right? Yeah. If you are having a big feeling about something, you are going through something in that moment, you've got to find a better way to express yourself. So we've tried to work on phrases that we can use that won't be hurtful to the other person, but will still identify like I'm frustrated right now, or I'm feeling hurt or whatever. So you make it about yourself and the way that you feel and you're not projecting it onto somebody else. Yeah. And we've, I've had this same conversation from the other side. So like Bree's friends will say those kinds of things like, well, I'm not your friend anymore, or I don't like you anymore in a moment of distress and hurt feelings and Brie comes home crying so upset that so-and-so doesn't want to be your friend anymore. So I've had the same conversation. Like they might be saying that, but what they actually mean is just that they're upset right now. They're, they're hurt by something that happened between you or maybe something that you said, like whatever. It's just like the other side of that same yeah. That same conversation. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually surprised that I've, I've never had to explain that to her. And I've, I've almost kind of waited for it because then it would be kind of a little bit of a lesson of like, this is how it feels when people talk to you. Mm. This way. And hopefully, again, building out that empathy of like, oh, it didn't feel very nice when someone said those things to me. And so maybe I'll try not to say those things to other people. They yeah. might, I mean, she's still kind of young. And so making those connections sometimes is still not really possible at that age. But But again, having those ongoing conversations and consistently sort of giving that feedback or working with like, you know, talking to your kids about people shouldn't say things like that, but it comes up sometimes because not everybody knows how to express themselves appropriately. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes you're going to struggle with that. And and here are some ways that we're going to, we can work on not, not lashing out that way with other kids and stuff. Um, And sort of just being that like mindfulness and intentionality and like how you're sort of, you know bringing your kids up and how they interact with other kids. Cause yeah, like socializing is such a, like a can of worms. <laughs> yeah. It's very, very nuanced and contextual and it's hard when yeah. they're that young to help them see the specifics of each scenario. Yeah. And I do but find, then, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I, then I think back to like when I was a kid, I don't remember any of it. Like I don't remember <laughs> being talked to and being upset about like I don't remember any of the drama maybe in not until I was about 12 really I don't remember any social drama until then yeah other than with my brother right who I saw literally every day like (laughs) yeah that makes more sense but with friends like I don't remember anything (laughs) I have very distinct memories of girls girls in particular being really cruel to me as a kid yeah 
And it really traumatized me. And I've, I've been working through this stuff just but like myself and sort of somewhat with a therapist as well, being like trying to uh, not react in a self-destructive way um, in social social settings or like after social interactions because so much of what happened to me when I was growing up was just like kids playing cruel jokes on me and just being very unkind or you know just not not very uh I don't know the kids were just not very nice to me and so now I get anxious with friends and stuff and I get like you know, I feel like, oh, this relationship's not going to last very long because I always screw it up because I get, I feel like I'm, I'm annoying somebody and then I end up annoying them because I feel like I'm annoying them. <laughs> right. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, it's interesting that you don't have those memories. Cause I, like I said, I do have some very distinct memories of, of coming home, being really upset after school when my mom trying to tell me at that age saying to me, don't hang out with those kids. They're yeah. not nice to you. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But I want to, but they, but then they would be mean to me, and I'm just like, oh, it was like this whole self-destructive path. <laughs> How big was your school at that age, like grade one? How many kids were like in your class, or like, do you remember? Uh, it, so our school was reasonably large. I think we probably had twenty to twenty-five kids in our classes. Um, yeah, like it, it was. Yeah, it was. It was not not super small. Was your school small? It was, yeah. Like I was a split grade mm. all the way through, oh. and so I would be like one year I would be split with the grade below me, and then depending on how things worked out, I would be split with the year ahead of me. Right. So I feel like I'm not sure if this really like relates at all or like factors in, but like I had a pretty small group of kids that were my age and a pretty small group of friends, and it was like you either get along or you just are alone yeah yeah. that's not to say that there weren't like there were of course the children in my class that were picked on like that happens no matter where you go but I don't know I just maybe I'm wondering if I didn't have an option like I never I don't remember thinking like oh like I'll just hang out with this person instead it was like if I don't hang out with this group of friends then I'm just not going to hang out with anybody yeah that's fair <laughs> so I'm not sure like yeah. that advice that your mom gave you just wouldn't apply in my situation right. yeah <laughs> yeah which and so it was actually very much the opposite for me because there was lots of kids that I could have hung out with that were outside of these particular groups that I was going I was gravitating towards those would have been the ones that I wanted to with like were the popular kids, right? They were the ones who everybody wanted to be or wanted to be friends with. And 